And I went, I, I couldn't get the quad bike down there, so I started running. Got down there, got down to where I thought he was, totally gone, disappeared. And the deer. So I thought, where the bloody hell are they? Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Told podcast and what is now the second episode of our international series featuring falconers from the UK. I have to start off by mentioning the two falconers who, without their help, this series wouldn't have been able to happen. The first is Neil Davies from Pursuit Falconry and Conservation Magazine. You've probably heard us promote the magazine on the podcast before, but if you haven't got a chance to check it out yet, I highly recommend it, and the publication is doing a lot to promote the art of falconry across the world. There's always lots of great content in it, so if you haven't subscribed yet, go to pursuitfalconry.co.uk and sign up for your subscription. It's well worth it. The other falconer is one that you've heard on the podcast before, being Simon Tires. He is the author of The Specialist Falcon, and the book is about his personal approach to lowland game hawking. It's been described as being one of the best modern books of our era by a lot of falconers and is well worth the read. I found this book to be very informative and very enjoyable. And so I highly recommend that you go to thespecialistfalcon.com and pick up a copy. And you can even have the copy signed by Simon as well. So thank you again very, very much, Neil and Simon, for bringing me over and allowing me to help all these falconers from the UK have a voice and share their stories and experiences with the world. I hope you, the listeners, enjoy the series a lot and get something out of it. And thank you very much for all of your continued support and for listening. And the second episode features Calvin Crossman, who is a fairly renowned equipment maker here in the UK. He makes bells, gloves, and all the other good stuff. And he also hunts with a golden eagle and has been doing that for a long time so without further ado let's go ahead and jump into this second episode and hear some of these stories and experiences from calvin here we go appreciate your time it's been good uh meeting you here and getting to know you just a little bit over these last few hours and um yeah man i mean where um where are you coming from over this weekend and I'm sort of from Evesham. Um, I'm just sort of one of the uh, falcon equipment makers within the UK. Uh, make all my own stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's it, hopefully it'll be a good show. Hopefully it'll be a good show. Yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, good deal. Well, I mean, I know there's supposed to be a decent turnout from what I've heard, and there's um, definitely a lot of really talented people here from what I've seen. But and it appears that um, a handful of y'all already kind of know each other from other interactions in previous shows and things like that. So yeah, yeah, we've got Charmaine and there's Steve Alsall and uh, there's uh, Chris Payne. Um, there's a little bit of competition, but I normally come out all right. I normally come out okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little competition never hurts anybody. No, 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 it doesn't. And to be fair, it just keeps you on top of your game as well. So. You, you have a look at the market, you look at what they're selling stuff for, and then you try and better the market. You you sort of come up with a, a couple of quirky little ideas. You change your patterns a little bit, and hopefully um, 
hopefully, fingers crossed, I've got the edge on it a little bit. <laughs> well, you've got some pretty neat stuff that you brought with you. I mean, you got, um, I mean, you were kind of talking to me a little bit about some of the stuff, but I think it was a good idea that you brought a, a decent amount of dog and bird stuff with you. You know, you said, what, half and half, kind of? Yeah, kind of half and half. I do sort of like a little bit of the long dogs, long dogs being lurchers, greyhounds, um, and that type of dog or in other words sight hounds is what we used to call them back in the day um so yeah we we do some um uh some pointer stuff as well sort of spaniel stuff working dog type of uh dog leads and collars um but it just all goes all in all with what i'm doing at the moment so it's um it, it's good so, some shows are better than others the um we, we don't do a lot of shows because of what I do anyway, but the shows that I do, it's it's turning out to be about 50-50 falconry, 50-50 dog-related items. So, yeah, it, it's 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 not too bad. It's, it's good. It's good. Well, I mean, as long as it's becoming, you know, can, or I guess I should say as long as it's continuing to be kind of worth the effort and the time and the money to continue to do these shows and stuff. And, you know, I mean, all the power to you. How long have you been doing these type of trade shows? Oh God, the trade shows probably around about, I've got, I've been doing the shows now for about 20 years. Um, started off. Oh, if we go back to the start, I brought a business with a friend. Um, we started off as master the muse. Uh, the guy that I was in partnership was uh, a lad called Del Shaler. Um, the company before, or the the people who brought the company off was Falconry Fair, F-A-Y-R-E. Um, and it was Roy and Kev Wellens that we brought the company from. Um, we spent a little, quite a little bit of money on buying the business from them. We got it all set up. We kept the same name for a little while and then changed it to Master the Muse. Unfortunately, I never worked out with my partner. So that come a little bit of an issue. In the end, we parted. I ended up with half the business. I kept the consumable parts of it. So I kept the bells, the swivels and the gloves and a few other little bits and bobs. Whereas he went down the perch side of the falconry business. Um, and that was that. Um, we didn't part on good terms. Um, but you never do within business, do you? It's just always a hard slog with a business partner sometimes. Uh, was, to be fair, I'd done a lot of hunting with Dal previous and he was always okay. It was only the final, once I realised that um, I'm not going to speak bad about him because he is, is not long passed away. So, um, but he was all right. He weren't a bad lad at the end of the day. He just had a lot of uh, a lot of issues with with other stuff. So, um, but he he was all right. I shot with him, and like I say, he was a good friend. And I drank with him a few times, and um, that was just one of those. But from from there on, um, from leaving. Master the Muse, I set my own company up called UB Falconry. Um, I I'd sort of moved all the stuff, all the stuff in storage for probably about 18 months while I built a work unit to put everything in. 
Um, and then from there, from the work unit, we got everything in, we got everything going, and we started doing the shows. And the shows were pretty good. They were pretty profitable to start with. And the way it's gone now with more online stuff and, and more stuff coming in from abroad, the cheaper, um, the cheaper products, it's just got a lot harder. Um, so I've sort of turned around and stopped trying to compete with cheap products. And I try and only now make top end, sometimes a bit middle, depending on what I can find in the market leather-wise. Um, so there, there's still a little bit of a hole to fill in that middle market. Um, but I do try and buy decent leather, good leather, um, and make good quality products um, for the UK um, and, and as well as the Middle East, which is, I mean, which is sort of kind of my main market at the moment. Um, you know, I've got some good guys out in Qatar. Um, I've not dealt with the Saudis too much, but hopefully this show will prove pretty good. You know, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, especially with the new gloves that I've got here at the moment, which are the ones that I showed, which were silk lined and the cashmere line gloves. So we're just hoping that, um, you know, maybe a little bit of sponsorship somewhere and we'll be okay. <laughs> well, out of curiosity, I mean, how how long does it take you on average to make a single glove, especially one that's a uh, higher quality, like the you know the silk interior and stuff? Oh, now you're asking a question. I would say, <laughs> um, to make a silk line glove, probably about two hours from start to finish. You know. If you want to get set up to make one glove by itself, probably a lot longer. But if you're doing a batch, so your machine's all set up, you've got the right threads in the machine to match the leather that you're working with. Um, you've got all the right cutters out. And then you're not having to put them back on the shelf then to make just one other size and then in a different colour. And then get all your different threads out and thread all your sewing machines back up again with that colour. I'd say sort of a good two to three hours to make a, a simple um, single layer glove. Now, if you've got to make um, a short cuff double layer, I would say you'd be looking maybe about three hours, maybe a bit longer. And then for a full length glove, maybe about half a day hmm. you know, from start to finish. Jeez. Just for one single? Just for one glove, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's machined as well. If you're doing a hand stitch, you'd, you'd be probably looking at the best part of a whole day for any of them from start to finish. Wow. So basically, I mean, it doesn't speed up the process then if you have to, or if you're doing like multiple types of the same glove with the same size or anything. If doesn't... you're doing multiple gloves, then you can speed the process up a lot. Ah, okay. Because you've got your... You've got all your patterns laid out in the one size that you want to cut. You've got all your le all your leather laid out that you want to use. So then it's just a process of cutting all your all your um, your tanks out, which is the main part of your hand. So you cut all your tanks out. Um, so if you wanted to sort of like cut a hundred gloves in that one size, 
all your bits are laid out for that one size. And then your machine's all set up for that one leather. You know, you, people don't realise that to set a sewing machine up for different thicknesses of leather, sometimes it, it, the sewing machine just don't want to work with you. And for whatever reason, it might be the tension, it might be whatever, but it does take a long time to set. A, some are better than others, but setting a sewing machine up can be a right pain in the backside when it comes to... <laughs> and and, and uh, same as everything, you get breakdowns and people don't take for the breakdowns. That you, it might only be a, a breakage of a needle while you're stitching, the thread might break. It might just get tangled up in the machine somewhere because you've done something a little bit different. So then your thread breaks and then you've got to go back over where you've started. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, th there's lots and lots of little things. Probably too much to explain here in the 45 minutes that we've got to. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it comes to sewing machines and all the equipment that you need, I've spent thousands. And recently we've just brought a... Um, a company um, out. Well, I would say we brought it out. They've closed down. Um, and I was just in the right place at the right time um, and, and managed to buy all their, um, well, a lot of their equipment off them to um, better my products, basically. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, I guess, kind of a, one of those lucky things that, that can end up, you can end up stumbling into whenever you get into this type of stuff. I mean, I, I don't know the first thing about this this stuff. I mean, I've I've talked to other friends that used to have equipment making businesses or still currently do, but not so much the glove aspect. I mean, I do have some friends that used to make gloves and things of that nature. And but as I've told multiple people, including you know Steve earlier and stuff, is like I am not handy at all. And as far as the craftsmanship aspect of things, I just, I suck. So, um, it's not, uh, it's not my thing. And I applaud any of you who have the wherewithal and the continued, um, I guess, patience to, to want to stick with doing that because I certainly don't. You know? Yeah. We make, um, we make quite a few different things. Well, when I say quite a few, we, we Everything I make, I make myself. I don't buy anything in from abroad. That 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 because then it wouldn't be UB Falcon UK. It'd have to be something else. I couldn't call myself. So I do try and specify that everything that I make is made by me. I haven't got anybody else in the workshop. Um, so we we make sort of all the green fiber glass baths that you see all over the world. You know that they go out to Europe, the UK. I have sent them out to the states, um, and I'm the only person probably in the world doing them as far as that I know. I think somebody else does a copy of them, but not in the volume that I can do them in. Um, I make all my own bells, nickel, silver and brass. We have used a bit of beryllium copper in the past. I did go down the line of, of trying to weld 18 gauge um, titanium. We got there in the end, but I couldn't get the loop on the top because with titanium, you need to weld in an argon bubble. And I just couldn't get that loop to stay. It just kept going straight across the room. And it was just like, no, this ain't working. So on the titanium, I probably spent six to eight months trying to make titanium bells. I could get a real nice weld around the outside of it, but I couldn't get that loop to sit on the top nicely. Um, so 
that that's the bells. We do about six different sizes of a bell. Swivels, make all my own swivels, they're all stainless steel. Um, do six different sizes of swivel. We used to do the the D-shaped swivels, um, but we stopped that because most of the big customers wanted the flat tops um, more for the leather locks up a lot better in, in the flat tops than the than the Ds. But in all fairness, sometimes if you've got a D and you want it to undo quickly, it just slip off a, a lot easier. It just depends on which way you want it to go better. Um, so that's your bells, that's your swivels, that's the baths. Um, what else is the, there's the gloves, uh, bullet dresses. We make bullet dresses. I'm not sure, you sure you do you use bullet dresses out in the States much? Yeah, there's, there's some guys that I know that use them quite often and I like to use them too, because I, especially if I'm hunting squirrel or something, I like yeah. to go jessless. I don't like you know, having uh, Jess's and ankles, especially if there's a lot of tree action going on stuff. So, No, that's cool. I'm quite traditional. I like all the old leather stuff, to be fair. Like, you know, that I'm not sort of struck on braid because braid, I find braid like goes up and up and through the, the eyelets a little bit. Um, so I'm pretty sort of old fashioned when it comes to, comes to the falconry side of things. I just like traditional traditional equipment it's probably just old-fashioned and old way of going on everybody's got personal preferences i mean i've i've become more of a fan of the the braided stuff over the years just simply because i like the ease in which you can kind of get it in and out of the grommets of anklets and i mean it, it's all personal preference it is, I it mean, is. and, and that, that, that's i think why there's so many arguments up and <laughs> you know it's personal preference but it there's no right and wrong in falconry as long as it's working and your bird's safe then that that's all that counts no. that's it yeah as long as the bird is being maintained decently your husbandry and yeah the husbandry's good the bird's in good health and you know you're hunting it and catching game then yeah who's to say one way's right versus the other i mean if you've got said person over here that's using a leather jesses and they're catching tons ahead of game and you've got a guy that's over here using braided jesses and takes them out and you know does the same and whatever as long as everything's hunky-dory then it doesn't really matter right yeah yeah i mean don't get me wrong i'm all for braid if you've got a um a chewy bird like especially falcons them things will go through sort of any kind of rope in no time at all you put a decent set of braid on especially if it's dyneema braid rather than um, uh, uh, like a, a synthetic, like a Dacron or or what they call a Dacron, um, but Dyneema, which is a fishing braid, I believe, um, that stuff is just absolutely the best. So if anybody's got anything chewy, just ask for somebody to make you a set of Dyneema fishing braids because that stuff is absolutely mustard. Mustard meaning brilliant. <laughs> yeah i mean i've i've had several different types and pairs and yeah i mean i've i've always found that as long as it's really you know tightly pulled and woven together and stuff and it's good quality then it tends to last yeah, yeah. but but yeah i mean it's all to each their own i mean it's i i'm not i <laughs> I, I know what I like and I like using what I like and I'm not ever going to sit here and, 
you know, scream at the top of the mountain for someone else to do things my way. I don't, you know, it's, it's not my place. So no, no, it, 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 it's not anybody's place to sort of shout the odds at somebody else. It, if you could see it working for them, leave them alone. Yeah. It, it, it's simple, isn't it? it, it we, we all, we've all got sort of views on things, but if it's working and as you said earlier, if they're catching stuff, yeah. And the bird's healthy. There's there's no need to to say anything. Right. Yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, I totally agree. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as the equipment side of things, though, I mean, how long have you been? I mean, overall, I'd say from your say from your first set of equipment that you made, first glove, whatever, and then until now, about how long has it been for you overall? Twenty years. Twenty years. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been messing with this sort of stuff for about twenty years now. Maybe 18, but yeah, it'd be 18, 20, something like that now, um, since i come out of what I was doing before, which was um, butchering. Well, it was butchering and then uh, butchering, slaughtering, going from killing 3,500 sheep in the morning to 350 cattle in the afternoon. Uh, in a day, that is seven days a week almost to... Then going up to Scotland for three years, doing the deer calls, shooting about 500 deer every six months for the best part of two and a half, three years. And then coming back home, going back into butchery and then going, I don't like butchery anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it it was a bit of a head spinner when I had to come back home. I didn't really want to come back home from Scotland. As we were talking here, I said, I like the big wide open space and we got chatting about Wyoming and, you know, and, and that's, that's those, those places are just sort of wild. And that's what I like. I, I grew up like that. It, just being by myself, big wide open spaces. And, um, I, I just love it. I just think sort of that, that's where I'm at peace anyway, is sort of by myself hunting and it doesn't matter what I'm hunting with. It could be a bird, a dog, a fishing rod, it could be with the dogs, it could be with the ferrets, it, it doesn't matter. As long as you're out and you're gathering a little bit of food and you're doing it conservation-minded, I just think, go and have a good time. Everybody's sort of, you, you go anywhere now and everyone's on their mobile phones, aren't they? You know, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, just pick a fishing rod up. Just pick something up. It doesn't matter what you pick up, as long as it's not your mobile phone. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's just one of those with me. I, I just love the the wild aspects of things. And if I could still live off the land without um, too much hassle off the government, that'd be me done. Yeah. That'd be me done. Yeah. I don't blame you. There's a lot to be said for just the, um, I guess the overall peacefulness of solitude these days and, you know, the absence of technology in general. I know whenever, um, I don't know, it was back in, I think 2017, me and, uh, some or some friends and I went and um, to Wyoming. Actually, it's the first time I ever went to Wyoming, and we pulled uh, goshawks and and searched around, you know, the, some of these different mountains and stuff for for goshawk nests for about a week. And I remember kind of initially feeling a little, I don't know, I don't know if you'd call it uh, going through withdrawals or or what from the from the tech, but there was something that was just ultimately peaceful about just sitting there listening i mean you could hear everything you could hear the the river 
that we were kind of close to the creek or whatever. You could hear the water flowing, and at night you could see every star in the sky, and and just the absence of the excess noise and pollution. It was very, yeah, it was very surreal. So I mean, I totally get it yeah. for sure. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, so as far as um, you know, one thing we always like to talk about is what possessed people to get into this crazy life <laughs> and oh, and uh now we're going into yeah. a long story yeah yeah, yeah. well the, we've got time man we've got time so um, basically um well i grew up in highly bybridge north uh my dad tony crossman um he was a an avid uh bird ringer um for the bto but it's just for an anthology so we used to go out and i used to go out with him um put the big mist nets up catch the birds in the big mist nets put the rings on the birds, let them go again. Um, we've done a great big survey in uh, in Wales regarding um, wheat here. Uh, that was through uh, a chap called Dave Fulton at the time, which if you Google his name, Dave Fulton, wheat here, there'll be a big survey done on him. Um, so we used to go into Wales. Um, now, wheat here are a, a ground nesting bird. Um, so you should have to sort of like clock them or, or, or see them to start with. Uh, wait until they was carrying food to under a rock or down a little bit of a rabbit hole. You try and mark a rock close to where it had gone in and then you'd walk in, put your hand down, see at what stage the eggs were, note it in the book, go back the following week or two weeks maybe and then, then ring them. So that's how I got into birds a little bit. There was a guy in the local village that had a Harris or going back then and he had a red tail and he had sort of like this bike contraption with a, a lure on the back and we used to sort of get on the bike and sort of pedal as fast as we could which would then roll the, the lure down the field and the birds would chase it and we just thought that was fantastic we'd go with him sort of quite a bit you know that's a, there, there was that side of aspect and then I got into um, proper hunting which was well when I say proper hunting um, my dad sort of also sort of he kept finches lots of different types of finches but they was just a little bit bigger than the uh, the UK house sparrow and back then there was thousands of sparrows and at about five six years old my dad taught me how to use a little Webley Tempest air pistol and we used to have to try and shoot as many sparrows as we could to stop them getting into the aviaries where the finches were because they were stealing all the food. And we could fill a bin liner up, like a, an old bin liner, a UK bin liner with a mesh round that they were quite big. So you'd have sort of like a good sort of 25, 30 kilo of sparrows. There'd be thousands of them in a, in a bag. And, you know, rot or wrong at the time, maybe we shouldn't have done it, but there was no law against shooting sparrows back then. Whereas now that you don't see a lot of them, and I just think it's a shame to shoot them now, but you learn from your mistakes as you get older. Um, so that that was my introduction to birds and hunting and, and everything else. Um, and then from there, it, I got involved with pheasant shoots, going out beating, working dogs, and doing all that sort of thing. Um with the BTO, with my dad, we used to do uh, a lot of owls, like trying to find barn owls, tawny owls, little owls. Uh, again, little owls burrowing 
or use rabbit holes to nest in. Uh, barn owls were normally around barns or trees sort of thing. Tawnies, we used to put boxes up. We had probably about 3,000 nest boxes, I think, through the wild forest, um, where we used to sort of go and check yearly, clean them out, um, mainly trying to catch sort of anything other than blue tits and great tits that used to use them quite frequently. So things like Red Star, um, oh, God, uh, there was just loads I can't remember them to be fair now going back but we tried to catch anything that was continental rather than that was British Isles so if it flew off then you get a report back if it was caught or they found it dead and the, the ring would give you all that data from when it was rung if it was rung from a chip they could then age it really um, how far it had flown and loads of other data and somebody else might have caught it somewhere else so then you build up a map of where it had been and where it had flown from to and the time, which, which, which I found really interesting. That that was, um, you know, a, another thing. In this thing, like a little wren, like a British little... Do you know what a wren is? Like a little brown... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought they'd fly to Africa from here? A little wren, you know? <laughs> and as they make it, because when you watch a little wren fly, they, they don't... They, you just think they can't fly, because they just go from one little twig to another and then they're gone. They, they make it all the way over to Africa. Who would have thought a little wren would make it all the way over to Africa? You know, that's just amazing. Wildlife is just amazing. Um, so that, that that was me sort of kind of introductory to birds and hunting. Um, and then to get into falconry, that, that come a little bit later. I, like I said earlier on, I'd come back from Scotland after being up on the hill for a good two years. Um and I met a lad called Barnaby Breakbread, who's now sort of like a real good buddy of mine. Big burly lad, about 25 stone, like Viking beard. Good lad. Um, and we got chatting, got talking in the pub, and he, he said he'd done a bit of falconry. And I said, that's something I always wanted to do. And blow me not, six months later, I've been out, got myself a, little, a nice little female arisaur. She was flying around about the £2.2 two mark. Um... And she was really good. I got her going, got her hunting really nice. She was taking a nice bit of uh, fur. She's taking a few pheasants. Um, we got her going in the lamp. And we got her going really, really well in the lamp to the point where she was too good. We'd sit her outside on the wing mirror of, the, of a V8 Range Rover, drive across the field, lamp on. She'd see the rabbits and off she'd go, dump, she'd nail them, she'd, didn't you know she missed skylight open little bit of food on the top of the bonnet and she comes straight back in through the skylight in the dark you know <laughs> good little bird good little bird um so, so that was my introductory to um to to hawks um and then i got myself a bit of a pest control job which is uh which was with nbc which is a pretty well known um company in the uk doing falcons on landfill and doing a bit of uh, flying in uh, pedestrian areas and shopping malls and that clearing pigeons and, and that sort of thing. So I've done that for a good few years. Um, and then because of all the hunting that I've done over the years, I got 
approached by a fox hunt who wanted to keep the hunt legal within um, within the law, um, which meant you needed an eagle. So I went out and got an eagle. I'd got a bit of eagle experience. I'd flown a couple of eagles before on loan. Um, we flew those for... Oh, God, how long have I been flying Woody now? Probably I've been flying Woody now for 10 years um, alongside Foxhunts, keeping everything within or to the letter of the law as it stands. Um, and I have, for, for a small male Goldie, we've probably taken, um, oh, I don't know, probably around about 40 fully grown roe deer in 10 years, something like that. Probably about five a year, maybe six. Um, I, I don't know how many foxes or muntjac or hares he's taken, <laughs> but for a for a little six pound twelve male golden eagle, it is as good as you can get. Really, you know, I've had some fun with him. Um, it, it, he ties you up in knots sometimes with the stuff he does, and it's just like you shouldn't have done that, but. <laughs> That that's birds of prey for you at times, isn't it? But that's that's sort of like in a short nutshell type of thing of of my background to how I got involved with uh, with falconry. Nice, nice. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody's got different you know ways of getting into it, and that's one thing we always like finding out from people. Is I mean, it seems like everybody's even though some people have similar stories or similar you know. I don't know, ways that they got into it or some experience or whatever. It seems like for as similar as some might be, they're always a little different. So it's always cool finding out everybody's little, you know, stories as far as how they got into it and everything. So, but I mean, over the years, I mean, is, is the whole golden Eagle thing for you now? Is that pretty much where, where it's at for you? Do you still like doing other stuff or is it mainly just, just the Eagles? No, no, I, I like any kind of hunting. It doesn't matter. I, I could still go out with a stick and just walk <laughs> over the top of a bank and see a load of seagulls get up. Or, you know, especially when I was doing landfill work, give me a boomerang. I'd still try and go out with a boomerang if, if um, you know, I, I, I love bow hunting. You know, I've done a little bit with a bow, not in the UK because it's illegal. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's... Um, it's just one of those. You, you just try and keep everything as it should be, um, preserve nature as it should be. In all, in all, I like meat as well. So you know, whatever I shoot, I I don't waste it. Obviously, my butcher experience comes into that as well because sort of like anything that we do do. Um, it if we catch something big, like if if I've caught something with the eagle. That'll be all processed into sausages and burgers, and you know the eagle will get his little snippet out of it. Um, and with the hairs, I, I don't know why people don't do it. I find sort of hairs are just such a a good meal, um, but there's not many people that do hair anymore, you know. And I sort of um, if we get a nice hair, it'll go in. I, I make a a chili con carne out of it or I'll curry it or, you know, 
or, or even just do sort of um, a bit of junk there, one which is like an old English meal. Um, but yeah, hair is just such a rich, nice, juicy meal. It's just sort of, I just don't understand why we don't eat more of it here. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, there's some guys that I know back home that love to keep X amount of rabbits or whatever, make rabbit stew and stuff. I'm, I, um, once again, I'm not very great at cooking, you know, game. <laughs> I'm just not good at it. I guess maybe it's partially because I've never really had anybody show me the right way to do it either. But yeah, I mean, I've had rabbit and hair and stuff though. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I think it tastes good. I mean, I can understand why some people really like it, but I see what you're saying. I mean, most of what I catch goes back to the birds. It's that yeah, much less yeah. food I have to buy. So, I mean, it's kind of whatever. But, you know, once again, to each their own. But, yeah, no, I mean, I can totally see where the appeal would be in it if you know how to make it right and prep it. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, a, a real good quick recipe for you, and you can't go wrong with it. Nobody can go wrong with this. And it's just such a simple thing. It's a little bit of prep work on the meat. And all you do is you take the cannons at the middle of the back, like, like you would on a deer. Take those little strips out. Uh, and something like on a, on a jackrabbit, which is a pretty big, you know, they're the equivalent to a hair ear. Mm-hmm. Take those strips out in the middle of the back. Salt and pepper and put them to one side. Mix a little bit of batter up or, or a, bit of, um, a bit of egg. Get some breadcrumbs. And then egg, breadcrumb, egg, breadcrumb. Get your frying pan nice and hot. Butter. Get your butter nice and hot so you get the froth on the top. Scoop the froth off so you just left that clear frat. Bang them straight in there. Probably a minute on each side. Pull them out. Bit more salt and pepper, a bit more seasoning. There you go. You've got like real nice crispy rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've, uh, if we didn't just have steak and stuff a bit ago, I'd probably be salivating at the moment but <laughs> but no yeah i mean i'm open to try pretty much yeah, whatever yeah. but i've just like i said it's got to be it's i know that stuff's got to be cooked right or else you know i yeah yeah i i don't know it's you you say that it's it's fail proof but i'm i could probably find a way to still screw it up i'm telling you i'm just not a very good cook and stuff so <laughs> but uh but yeah no i mean i that's that's cool though. I'm I'm glad that you still enjoy all these different forms of hunting, even though you know. I mean, some people they once they get it in their head, they they find their thing. They don't enjoy the other stuff as much anymore. So I mean, it's cool that you still enjoy doing all the other stuff as as well as the, the eagle yeah, stuff. But yeah, I mean, you you can't go out. You can't be going out with a, a couple of ferrets. You you understand what I, I know. You sort of. I'm not saying you're naive, but you know what ferrets are, like polecat mm-hmm. type. Sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we uh, over here, we go out with ferrets, don't we? And mm-hmm. put them down the rabbit hole and that. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, that that is probably if you get a real good frosty morning, and you go out with a couple of ferrets, and whether you do it with a bird of prey or a couple of whippets or a couple of lurchers, where they bolt and the dogs chase them, mm-hmm. it can be just as much funny. It, I just find. The biggest part of hunting is just being outdoors and taking part in whatever's going on. So whether it be the fox hounds, the deer hounds, uh, whether you're just out with an air rifle, a shotgun, whether you're out with the birds, 
a fishing rod. Doesn't matter if you're course fishing or game fishing. If as long as you're outdoors and you're off your mobile phone, that is the biggest prize that you can have is not picking up that mobile phone, <laughs> especially for kids these days. Get them off their mobile phone, get them outside, and you'll learn so much more by just being outside doing a little bit of hunting. And people think hunters or people that hunt are barbaric. They're, they're far from it. They're probably the biggest conservationists on the planet because they don't want to kill everything. They just want to kill a little bit for the pot as a luxury. It's not like they go out and, and kill something every day. Mm-hmm. It'll, it, they'll kill something every now and then. You know, so there's plenty out there for people to um, to hunt. And it, and the go- if it was that bad, the government would step in anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find sort of the, the the biggest thing for me is is just don't once you've caught something, don't throw it in the edge. It, that to me is why. What are you going out for in the first place? Either take it home for the bird or take it home for yourself. It doesn't matter as long as long as it's used. Just don't get wasted in it because you know you've taken something's life at the end of the day, and don't be wasteful with it. You know you've had the privilege of being outside with, regardless with what you're with, but just take that as as a part in your life just don't disregard it as a as it's just something that's happened it, 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 that to me is um, I'm quite strong about that you know and if don't don't leave anything suffering either that that's the other thing you know if you've caught something put it out of its misery as quick as you can don't don't stand there taking photographs and you know just don't hold things up in the air for the camera until it's yeah. Quite a bit of misery, you know. Yeah, I, that's I, just ethical. I have yeah. a bit of thought, yeah. 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 No, I agree. And I think most people do. I mean, they, like I said, it's it's just, you know, some of the, the basic, I don't know, you, you kind of refer to it, and a lot of people do anyway, as far as common sense. And, yeah, I mean, you don't want to just let stuff suffer unduly. I mean, it's kind of pointless. And, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for that. It's just part of the whole process for sure. But... But I, out of curiosity, I mean, it's something I still would love to see in person someday. I've only seen in videos is the whole roe deer with with eagles hunts. You know, <laughs> I, I still think that's pretty pretty damn neat, personally. But for someone that's never seen it, and for the people that's listening have never seen it in person, but in videos or whatever the case. I mean, walk through that whole process a little bit because that whole thing fascinates me. I I really want to see it in person at some point, but. Well, to, to be fair, the, the, the hardest thing, pe- people don't realise, the hardest thing for an eagle to take is actually a, um, a rabbit. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, not a rabbit, a hare, sorry. Yeah. Um, that is probably one of the hardest things an eagle can actually chase and catch is a hare. Um, especially on ground where they've been run a lot with with the long dogs because they're just sharp. You know, they're, they're that much fitter than... A leveret, you know, it, it's all very well going out the start of the season and catching a few leverets, but you get sort of till after Christmas when everything's sharp, everything knows what's going on, <laughs> and then start trying to hunt brown airs. Sure. Then, then you, you know, if you can catch brown airs after Christmas, then 
you've got a decent eagle, you know, especially if you can do it on a regular basis. Um, when it comes to uh, foxes and roe, most of the time, foxes are stitched, stick to the edge lines a little bit, you know, so trying to get them away from it, unless they break cover and go straight across a field, they run pretty, pretty true, a fox will. They don't sort of dart around. They, they won't go left and right to try and dodge. They'll just run. Sometimes they'll just turn and face whatever's coming in at them. And sometimes, especially with my little male, he's been collared a couple of times, been bit a few times, and that again to the vets. But we've always sorted them out. Um, you know, that they, 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 they do wear up to sort of like when they face. And sometimes when they're coming in, they, they do pull up and pull off, you know. But with the row, the row are something else. The, again, that they do sort of like pretty straight line. But if and and the eagles sort of got to be pretty confident to go straight in and and try and do a a roe deer you know um and i've taken them in woodlands we've taken them in open ground um but one of my most uh rememberable flights with with woody was we were up on a bank and we we were actually out with um one of the hunts over Warwickshire. Um, we were on a great big bank and we had this massive sort of view and the wind was blowing right and there was two or three row that had broke out across the second field from us, which would have probably been a good, a good probably 300 metres. And I thought, shall I or shan't I? So I let Woody go and off he went. I thought, oh, he's going the wrong way. But he... What he'd done, he didn't go the wrong way. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. He he went out the wrong way, but then come back in on the wind to get more height. And then as he got more height, and then he sort of went up and up and up and turned and then just folded. And he hit this row straight on the back of the head and flattened it straight out. Weren't dead, but he'd flattened it. Um, and I went, I... I couldn't get the quad bike down there, so I started running. Got down there, got down to where I thought he was, totally gone, disappeared, and the deer. So I thought, where the bloody hell are they? Gets the telemetry out, starts sort of looking, and it's pointing towards the edge, which was another 150 metres back. By this time, I'm knackered. <laughs> Gets the edge, and all I could hear was this is crashing going up the edge, and then this is a great big, thick, black thorn hedge, you know, sort of, probably a good four foot wide with a big ditch in the middle of it. And all I could see was me eagle being dragged up the edge. And I reckon I must have chased this roe deer about 50 metres up this edge, and I thought, there's no way that eagle is coming out of there alive. <laughs> and in the end, I managed to get through the other side of the edge, managed to get one hand in onto the deer's leg and pull it out. And the eagle come out, absolutely knackered but he hadn't let it go <laughs> you know and um I, I dispatched that eagle let him have a good feed on it um and I, I just to this day i still don't know how he caught that deer well i do know how he caught it but how he stayed on it and survived was a a totally you know something six pound 12 probably taking something that's 60 pound that that is a massive fate of uh, 
of sort of just a big set of balls for a bird. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always those instances that you have where the the stars kind of seem to align and everything falls into place. And for whatever reason, things just happen to go right and your bird ends up being all right. And you come home with, you know, some, some pretty cool game in the bag and a good story to tell. So. It's like a gold medal, isn't it? Some yeah. days when you <laughs> come days. back home, it's just like wow. But you know, <laughs> uh, you, but you could tell somebody down the pub uh, or whatever, or you know, you talk to your mates, and it's just like, oh well, I just caught another in here, you know. <laughs> but to you, it's like that. That that was that was the prize. That was it, yeah. you know. Well, and you know, if if you are used to catching game on a regular basis, then yeah, I mean, whenever you talk to people about some things it's okay well yeah he's just okay to, to people it's oh he just caught another rabbit or he just caught another whatever and unless you really get out regularly with other people and see just how diverse some of these chases are and just hunts in general are it's it's hard to appreciate that you know you how much you you just worked and worked and worked and worked to make all this stuff come together so i get it i mean i don't get it as far as watching a road deer being caught, but I totally get it. I mean, you know how it is too. I mean, some days you feel like you deserve a gold medal just for coming home with your freaking bird. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just carrying a gold deer around for about six, seven hours. To, you, you know, you should get a gold medal for that because, yeah, you know, you, bet. you've got sort of seven pounds sitting on the end of your hand for that sort of amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, some people walk around with a stick under and, you know, and even walking around with a stick under, they still deserve a medal. You know, I, I never <laughs> had a stick. Um, but, you know, it's a fair old chunk of weight to carry. It's a newborn child, isn't it? You know, carrying it around in one hand all day long and <laughs> you come home sort of wet. And there's always something that goes on. You know, you might fly it and the, it, it, you, you don't always get the weights right. So they might just pull up at the last minute. You think, oh, God, might as well go home now. Because, you know, you might have travelled three hours to get somewhere. And you think, oh, I'll, I'll give it a couple of hours, put him back in the box, see if he drops a bit more weight. Eagles don't drop weight like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, <laughs> it's just like, so you try him again in the afternoon, and then the little bugger goes and sits in a tree for God knows how long, and then you get it back and think, right, it's time to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we're always tempted to, well, tempted to tempt fate, I guess you yeah. could say. And, and yeah, sometimes it doesn't, well, a lot of times it doesn't always work out, but for whatever reason, we there's there's a lot of those days where you just can't simply accept the fact that you are going home and, and not getting to hunt because you know you fed too much or whatever the case was. But you know it happens to the best of us. Yeah, so. I, I mean we've we've done it on the on a thing, and we've we've done sort of like getting on for twenty kilometers in a day with the eagle. You know that that's a hellish bit of ground to cover walking with a with something sort of seven, seven pound on the end of your arm. You know, um, I'd probably have heart attack now trying to cover that amount of ground. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I've I've held a golden eagle before, and after about five minutes, I was ready to my my shoulder felt like it was just about ready to fall out of its socket, but. You know, I'm sure it's just like anything else. You get conditioned. Yeah, you can you condition to it, and you know, I I think sort of when when you've got your bird, the one that you've sort of trained and you've grown up with, it, it 
it, it's nice, especially if it's well behaved. When you've got a misbehaving eagle on your arm, one that keeps baiting or sort of like you're walking, it keeps trying to either bite you or and it keeps fidgeting or it's trying to bite your glove and pull your thumb off or your finger off or something like that. <laughs> it just becomes sort of a nightmare then, you know, trying to sort of um, fly a bird that's just not well-mannered becomes an absolute... It's it just unbelievable in in mindset more than anything else. You, me personally, I can't put up with it. So it's just in the box back home and <laughs> job done. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've blown a few of other people's, and um, some have been really good. Others have just been an absolute nightmare. Um, but yeah. You, you just have to sort of take the good with the bad sometimes and try and sort of change. You try, you do try and change things that you do to try and change the bird a little bit, but sometimes they're just that way mannered that they're not going to change. And you, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks sometimes, especially with birds. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, simply sometimes getting a, a bird to accept you after it's been with the same owner for a while. And, and you know, I mean, happen. just, it, yeah, I mean, sometimes it, it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, if you do get it to work out, oftentimes the, uh, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, so to speak, but been there and done that as well. So, but, um, well, I mean, as far as everything else goes, I mean, that's definitely, do, do you have any other like, um, noteworthy stories that you can think of off the top of your head? Oh yeah. If you, if you can't, if you can't think of one more good story, and oh, then... I, I can tell you a time when uh, me and Barney, my best mate, the lad that I said about twenty five stone and built like a brick shit, I mean, bit a bit of a Viking type lad, <laughs> right? He, he got himself a, a nice little male, and we were both out sort of doing a bit of training via quad bike, and um, both young eagles at the time. Mine was a couple of years older than his, but still a young eagle. Um, and we'd done the quad bike down the field, three, 400 metres. Eagle had chased it, brought it back, just giving it a little bit of food on the fist. And I don't know what he'd done, but his eagle nailed him in the hand or, or he got both hands together. So he must have tried <laughs> to give it, couldn't have had the gestures tight enough. Bang, he got him like that. And it was, cow. <laughs> and I, I pretended I didn't hear him. And it was, Calvin, come here. I said, what's the matter? He said, come and get this eagle off my finger. And I was laughing at the time, like sniggering away. <laughs> so I, pull, I, pulled it, I pulled it off his, off his hand sort of thing and he released. He said, you bloody heard me calling. I said, I didn't. I said, I didn't. He said, you did. And I was laughing. <laughs> anyway, I'll go to put mine in the box. And um, as I put him in the box, I think I took my glove off, put it on the floor, and he got something on the end of his talon or something like that. Anyway, same thing, wasn't it? He went, bang. He got both of my hands (laughs) knotted up, toed together. Barney! (laughs) Barney! Oh, you want me to, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so there was a bit of touche there. So we had to yeah. come and um, come and get it off me. But yeah, that that was uh, that that was just one of those. But you know, I'd say that 
my worst one with a an eagle was a female I had, and I went in with, I went and put her away. And the eagles all, sometimes always come back, especially when they're hungry. They they come back at you for a bit of food. She come back at me, and I I knocked her onto the floor. And she bounced straight back up again, and she managed to latch one talon on the glove and the other one straight in the back of my leg. And what you normally do with an eagle is you grab them around the neck to get them to release, because then they try and grab the hand that's got them around the neck. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get to her neck because she got me sort of with this hand, back of the leg, and her head was facing away. So I couldn't reach over with my other hand to 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 get hold of her. So I'm stuck in the in the muse with Eagle, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this? So in the end, I start sort of with this hand or with my right hand, I start to try and prise the talons open, and I managed to do it a little bit, and then she goes straight through my thumb on my right hand. So now she's got both hands and the back of my leg. And it's just like, well, what do I do here? And the only thing I could do was rip my thumb out, which just left a nice scar. Uh. Then I managed to sort of free my hand up, and then I got her out the back of my leg. But when I pulled her out the back of my leg, she cut the nerve. And I don't know, if, have you ever had a nerve cut anywhere in your body? No. Oh, man, that's painful. That hurt, that, uh, that did. That, that was just like... Um, I don't know. It's, it was almost like somebody poured golden water all over my leg on my one side. And it was just like, I went back down the house and it was just like cold water, kept splashing cold water on it. And it it went a little bit funny, the 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 wound dips with, with, with any kind of bird of prey wound. You try and keep it open for as long as you can, get all the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that 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 was a painful one with the eagle. That was the back. Of, that was probably the worst one I've had with an eagle. <laughs> you, you you know I I don't know what it is with the um, with eagles, but when they when they grab you, it hurts. But do you know what? I find a little sparrow work more painful now, and I think it's because <laughs> sort of like they've got. I don't know. I don't know if they go deeper or whether I've just sort of got kind of immune not i wouldn't say immune it still hurts but you tend to tolerate the pain level a lot more when the eagles grab you now <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect anybody to go and try it but you know after 10 years of them grabbing you yeah you I'm, kind I'm, of get like oh. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure i can hang with you on that no i mean i uh i've been footed by you know red tails harris hawks yeah. and other exhibitors and i would still prefer the kind of sewing machine type quick multiple you know stabs is like an exhibitor that he does as opposed to you know just the the vice like you know <laughs> grip that that a red tail or any bigger bird you know has to offer but uh i don't know teach once again teach their own i mean if that's if that's uh your preference then uh then go forth and prosper i guess but uh but well, I mean that's that's good though. I mean I appreciate you sharing the the good stories and and uh, the good experiences. So I've been asking most people this: What um, I mean, since you have been doing this for a while, do you have any particular 
words of wisdom or tidbits of uh, advice or anything that you would pass on to uh, you know newer generations of falconers or even people who have been doing it for a while? Um, the, the only thing that I would really, really say would be um, if, if you want to get into falconry, just don't rush into it and work out really what you want to fly before you go and get your first bird. And whatever your first bird is, try and make it your last bird. You know, don't don't turn around and say a Harris Hawk's a starting bird. A Harris Hawk's not a starting bird. A Harris Hawk is a bird, and it'll be a bird that you could finish with. You know, they, they could live for 20 years. Mm. You could have 20 years of good falcon with that bird before you had to get another one. So they're, they're not a starter bird. So, you know... Just sort out where you want to be with what bird you want to fly and fly that one properly. Train it properly to start with and then, and you won't have a bad season, you know, or you won't have a bad hunting experience with it. Get, get the right experience, you know, just because your mate's got one, don't take his word for it. You know, <laughs> go, go out with a lot of people. Go on a few meets, you know, meet people. Don't just, just, you know... It, and enjoy it as well, you know. Just don't go rushing into things. That that would be my biggest thing. Just don't rush into anything, you know. Do do you do your research. Don't get onto the forums on different social media places and start asking stupid questions. <laughs> do your own work. Do do yeah. a little bit of research yourselves. You know that's it, it, it's not rocket science. Falconry isn't rocket science. You just need to have a rhythm you need to have a daily routine with your bird and that's it that's all they ask for yeah no that's good advice and i think that we all kind of get caught up in the i don't know the seductive aspect of things sometimes and forget that the the consistency and just the bare bone fundamental aspects of things and sometimes too you you want to fly that that species that um you know, is kind of like not really great for, for what you're wanting to do, but you don't have experience with it. It just seems appealing and we, we all kind of get caught up and sometimes we need to be reminded of, of just the, uh, yeah, the fundamentals and, and the basics. So I leave, think, uh, yeah. Leave your mobile phone at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, who's going to believe, who's going to believe that your, that your Eagle brought, you know, down that road deer in the, in the, you know, 500 miles away or however it was and stuff though, without, without the evidence. Yeah. I, I, missed, I, I, I have missed out loads with my mobile phone. I have. Sometimes I take it and sometimes I don't. Well, like I said, it's been a, it's been a great day so far. Anyway, I'm glad that you all have made it down and I could get to know some of y'all and, um, it's been nice hanging and, and, Hopefully the rest of the weekend's good for you and everyone else here that's that's got booths and and uh, you know hope you do well and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more over the course of the weekend and stuff but I think it's about time to grab another beer and then head to bed here pretty soon. Yeah, so. that's cool. Nice <laughs> meeting you. Yeah thanks, yeah, thanks for doing the interview and I wish uh, wish everybody else all the best and for all my friends out in the states, I wish you all well, especially Mark and um a few of the others so yeah Yeah. good luck to you all have a good season 
Yeah. And real quick, um, if anyone wants to buy any equipment from you or check into your business, uh, is there a particular place they can do that? Or? Yeah, yeah. www.ubfalconry.net. Um, just have a look. Um, I haven't updated it for a while. Um, hopefully, sort of, once I get September out of the way and I've been out to Qatar, um, we should um, we should be sort of somewhere back on a on a level playing field. It's just that manic at the moment with work and <laughs> yeah, yeah totally, that time of year. Totally get it. Well, like I said, I appreciate your time and and um, you know thanks for the uh, the now hour that we've uh, that you've given me. So that we've wasted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody's got something out of it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's cool. That's cool. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I appreciate it.